All right. Two o'clock somehow. And um, we're very grateful uh, for y'all coming for kind of one last round on um, the counseling series. Lord willing, we may um, down the road sometime kind of take some specific um, sins, some specific things people are being counseled for depression, anxiety, those sort of things, and uh, go another round. I don't know when that'll be uh, coming around, but we're um, excited about that. Let me pray, and we'll turn Josh loose on the book of Proverbs. Super excited um, about today, and thanks again for for coming this morning or afternoon. Father, we are grateful. Um, You have been so good to us to give us your word, all we need for life and godliness, your son. Um, Thank you, Father, for um, your countless blessings. I have overflow of your grace. You've given us one blessing after another. And uh, we are overwhelmed with uh, joy. Um, you've given us um, your Holy Spirit, uh, your word, and your people. And uh, and for that, we, we praise you. We pray for um, Mark in the uh, other building that you had used him tremendously today on the covenants and then later in um, Matthew 13. Um, and Lord, we pray that your word would do surgery on our hearts um, as you promised. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Josh, help us on um, on the mouth and parables and, and Proverbs. Yep. So, well, first I just want to say I can't believe we're in week five here. Oh, yeah, I know. I and um, there's been times where I've thought I, I could not have communicated any more unclearly. So <laughs> thank you guys for sticking with it. And um for the questions and your engagement with this topic that's so necessary. And it's been a, it's been a privilege to, to do this with you guys and to teach with you, Jerry. So thank you guys for investing the time. But I, what I'd like to do today is start in the Proverbs talking about the nature of speech and the content of our words and how we communicate. Maybe taking a little bit of a different approach here, uh, but I think important nonetheless And I think we'd be foolish not to just take a brief tour of a couple of truths here from the Proverbs, because counseling is is dealing in large measure with um, how we talk, how we communicate, the words that we use, our our tone, and the content matter of our speech. And the Proverbs have a lot to say about those very things. Uh, One one commentator said almost one-sixth of the Proverbs deal with some... uh, some manner of our speech and our communication. And so King Solomon, the author of these Proverbs, uh, has many points to say along the way dealing with various types of speech. There's wise speech and foolish speech. There's righteous speech contrasted with wicked speech. There's appropriate speech, controlled speech. There's times to keep silent and times to talk. There's warnings against flattery slander and gossip and hurtful speech. So a lot of subcategories on speech, but one, one sort of subcategory on speech I want to talk about today is the, the ability, our, our communication, our words, and their ability to harm or to heal. And I want to just give you a little sampling here, some examples for, for how persuasive and influential our speech can be for good or for ill. So if you have your Bible, turn over to uh, Proverbs twelve eighteen. <clears throat> and King Solomon says here twelve eighteen. 
There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And as I read through a few more of these Proverbs, I just want you to listen for the destructive effects of speech contrasted with the the benefits of speech. So that was 1218. Here's Proverbs 1624. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. In Proverbs 10:19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Mm. Proverbs 15:30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Proverbs 18:21, this is amazing. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And, of course, we know from James, the, the tongue is characterized as, as uh, a, a very small thing, but it can change the direction of many things. It can set, the, set on fire the entire course of a life. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting word come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So just on that very brief sampling of, of Proverbs on the speech, we can say that it's a weighty matter and it's a, it's a big deal. And, and speech um, and our words are incredibly useful tools to encourage and to bring healing and sweet refreshment to the bones. Uh, they, our, our words can bring about a desired action and direct our attention and direct our minds toward heavenly things. Um, and on the flip side, unrestrained words can bring about great destruction and great harm. Um, our, our words can stir emotions, stir affections, and a love for what is true and good. Uh, but it can also um, be like the sword thrust. And we can probably think of times where we've missed it with our own speech. And we've caused great destruction with, with unrestrained words. And possibly even words said to us have had a, a great impact on our life from, from early on. So our speech uh, is something that's very valuable to, to God and how we communicate. So... Here's just the first application on on this with our speech is we should realize the profound potential in our words. We should strive to be good stewards of our words and the words we use around others and be sensitive to how our words may affect others and influence others. We should strive always to let our words be wise and gracious and seasoned with salt and fit for the occasion to build up because our words are not casual or, or meaningless. Um, we're always communicating and we always have the opportunity to communicate something wise and helpful and gracious every time we open our mouths. And here's uh, a second application, potentially with with speech. And this is um, when you think about somebody in your life going to see a counselor or if you're considering going to see a counselor because of the incredible influence of our speech, I think it warrants some investigation into that potential counselor's background. And so I think we have to ask to be discerning what, who or what is shaping the words or the counsel that it's given. What are they drawing from as they give counsel? What kind of meta-narrative is the counselor operating from? And how does this counselor make sense of a story or situation? And so we know our words matter. They're not just pulled out of a hat from nowhere. They're flavored and influenced by our our worldviews. And then 
Maybe I'll just close this bit on, on some other Proverbs to remember as we strive to become better counselors. And I'd love to hear your commentary on this, Jerry. But Proverbs 18, let's, we can flip over there. I want to read a few of these. I think this is the nature of Proverbs. They're, they're easy to remember and to recall, but they're difficult to practice. Mm. And the more we strive to practice these Proverbs, I think we'll get better and better. But... I don't think they come naturally to us sometimes. And uh, here's Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Yeah, I think this is, um, you know, I'm so guilty of how many times I've just g- given my opinion, and it feels good to give your opinion without actually grasping what's going on or understanding the situation. Uh, I think we like to weigh in, but we should first try and make sure we we have a true and right understanding of a situation. And then a little bit on down, Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And then Proverbs 18, 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Probably the parents in the room are familiar with this in, in navigating scuffles between children. You, you know you have to see both sides. You have to get both perspectives to, to hear. And I think this is important for, for marital counseling as, w- as well, especially when there's conflict involved, to hear both sides of the, of the situation. So just a couple, couple bits there on speech. Any thoughts on that, Jerry? Yeah, I, man, Josh, so good, and I really appreciate it. I think we've all learned um, from you on this, and in, in you're being, you're so good about being cautious with what you say, and uh, that's very good, that's very convicting. The 1019 that you talked about earlier, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever uh, restrains his lips is prudent. It had to remind me that... Uh, this is like 45 years ago, but um, I had a, a good friend. I was um, best man at his wedding. I was a good friend with him, and we were um, after high school a year or two, and he just, he said, Jerry, you ruined my whole high school. And I was like, well, that was quite a startling statement to And I said, really? Like, well, how did I do that? And he just said, you made fun of me for four years. And I did. I had, you know, got a lot of laughs at his exp- expense, and it was from just talking when I should have been quiet. And I just think um, what a powerful um, book Proverbs is for us to think about how we're using our words. But I really like, and especially where this will lead to your next uh, comments on the heart, I think, to know that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so our words are not just accidental. They're coming from our heart and what we're truly uh, thinking. In that case, for me, through high school, it was wanting attention, wanting someone to laugh, whatever. And, um, and I spoke from that. And it, was, it wasn't good. There was a lot of sin there. So um, I appreciate the way you've uh, modeled that for us. And thank you for taking it through those verses. Um, how about the, the heart? 
Yeah. What's, so what's what's going on in there? What's going on in there? That is the question. What's what's the heart of the matter is what's going on in the heart. And I want to read one last proverb here. Proverbs 20 verse 5, which says the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And so this will kind of take us into the next segment of the class. How do you draw out the purpose in a man's heart? And from this proverb, we see that the heart is often um, concealed. The purposes are concealed and they're not always out there on the surface, but it's the wise man that can draw it out. And so we're going to look at a, a couple of verses here on the heart and understand it from a theological perspective. I think when you say the word heart, or when you think about the heart, probably there's the biological perspective, the anatomical perspective with the, the valves and how it works, and we all learned about that in school. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's pumping the blood to the rest of our body, you know, the cardiovascular side. And then there's another perspective, which might be the, the cultural idea of the heart, which is filled with romance and, and is known as the emotional center of our lives. We might think of Valentine's Day, um, our feelings, our passions, the, the heart is the emotional center, and there's some of that is, is certainly true. But theologically speaking, or biblically speaking, what is the heart? And that's what I want to try at least to have a start to answer today. And I'll just begin with a, a basic definition. This is from a, a professor of mine. He said that Heart is the totality of man's inner or immaterial nature. And we know we're more than the sum of our parts or just all of our biology put together. We have an inner man and we have an outer man. So it, it would include our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, our wants, our lusts, our will, our volition. And the heart is the real us. It's a reflection of who we are deep down. It's our, the core of our being. It's the command center of our lives and in order to get to know someone we have to know their heart and the things that define them much more than just knowing what they look like or sound like or where they're from and i think we we know this when we're when we're conversing with people and they tell us the deep things of their life we understand we're getting to know the real them the 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 things that make them tick um not just the mundane facts about <clears throat> Their life, so that's just a loose, a loose working definition. The, the the heart is the the command center of our lives, and I'll try and describe it from scripture. And I'll start with Mark seven. So, if you have your Bible, flip over to Mark seven, verses twenty one to twenty three. Jerry, this is a verse that you know and love. Um, love to hear your take on this. Mark seven. 21 to 23. And before I read that, I was thinking about this week. Anytime you ask the question, why? Why did a person do that? Where did that action or behavior come from? You're asking a question about human nature. And biblically speaking, we would say our actions proceed out of the heart, which we'll see in this text. Uh, Verse 20, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. A any thoughts on that one, 
Jerry. Yeah, I think that's why we don't look inside our heart for the answers, because you look at that list and you say, whew, that's what's what's in there. And uh, and certainly the Lord is gracious in uh, changing us from having a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And uh, and things drastically change um, in the way we operate once uh, he's justified us and redeemed us um, from the mess that we were. Um, but there's still that indwelling sin, which we've uh, which we've talked about and we've we've thought about and we need to be aware of um, that these things. And I think all of us would say, oh, boy, I am still very um, capable of so many of these sins, all of them really, uh, whether it be envy, certainly pride, the foolishness, the battle that there is day in and day out with all of these. And so um, this is why we look for the answer outside of us and uh, not go uh, inside for the answer, which is completely contrary to what our whole world would, would right. tell us. You know, look in the heart, um, follow your heart, all of that kind of nonsense. So we can say, I think, that our, our behavior is not caused by genetics or heredity or, or there, our nurture growing up. It's shaped by those things, but the evil that we do comes from our own sin nature. Our, our bad behavior, if you will, comes from the evil that lies within. And that will put you on a, a, a drastically different trajectory as you think about human behavior and, and people and sin in the counseling room compared with other approaches. All right, here, here's the next text, Luke 2.19. You don't have to turn there. But after the shepherds came and shared with Mary all the things they'd heard from the angels uh, when she was uh, giving birth to Jesus, she, in Luke 2.19, she treasures up all these words, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And so the heart has a cognitive element. It ponders, it thinks, it, it stores up and has this thinking ability. Um, you can think about three major elements that comprise the heart would be our, our thinking, uh, would be our decision-making or our will, and then our affections or our desires sort of as a trio that, that form the heart. And a, just a quick plug for this book, The Dynamic Heart and Daily Life by Jeremy Pierre walks through those three dynamics of the heart and how it plays out in life. Um, another text, Jeremiah 17, 9, Jerry, one that you also love, the, the heart is deceitful. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Mm. Um, certainly, this is another element of the heart. It's it's twisted and it's corrupt and needs to be renewed. And even after we become a believer, the, there are old desires are still trying to to master and dominate us. Yeah, we're getting conned by it um, too often, and that's why we have to race back to the truth and hold on to the truth. And the truth has set us free, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And sanctify us by truth. Your word is truth, and so. I, don't you think, Josh, that's a lot of the battle each day is to discern, okay, what am I believing that's not true, and what am I believing that's true? And, uh, boy, to meditate on God's Word day and night and transform our thinking, uh, that we would have a renewed mind, thinking truth instead of the, uh, um, the work that our, that our own hearts do. And certainly Satan lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Jesus calls him a liar five times in one verse, um, John eight forty four, And then the world's lying to us continually. So a lot of lies out there. Yep. 
Uh, Proverbs 4.23, probably one that's very well known in this room. Keep the heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Our, our hearts are the fountain of all our behaviors and actions. And Solomon warns his son to guard it and to keep it vigilantly like a soldier would guard the rear flank of a, a caravan, seeing to it that no surprise attack comes. We have to have a, a vigilant stance in guarding our heart. Um, so I want to hit just real quickly four facts on the heart. And Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen says that as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. And we, as we've been talking about, the heart is the core of who we are. It can, the heart can think and remember and know and discern and meditate, grieve, love, give, turn, pray, rejoice, be upright, be faithful, seek God. And on the negative side, it can fear, it can hate, it can lust, the heart can become proud, the heart can deceive, the heart can set up idols, and the heart can become hardened toward, toward God and others. Uh, Luke 6.43, Jesus said, Each tree is known by its fruit. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so in this passage, Jesus is teaching a lot about how human beings work. And it's out of the, the inner man that produces the, the outer man behavior or the things that we do. And the fruit ref- reflects a life. And what's stored in the heart will spill out into our actions. And we can safely say that it's the heart that's going to direct our behavior. So that was point two, four facts on the heart. The second one is our heart is expressed in our behavior. Any thoughts on that, Jerry? I'm going to give a a practical example here. Mm. So let's try and um, sort of dive into really what we're talking about, how this would work out. And let's just say there is a man who struggles with looking at immoral images on a screen. And we would say that that action is fueled by uh, things going on in his heart, in his mind, in his thinking. And what is operating in his heart could be a number of things. And it could be something like, um, I want to escape my stress and I want to satisfy my bodily urges. That's why I'm doing this thing. Or his heart could be saying, I feel lonely, so I am craving intimacy. And even if it's from a screen, I'm going to seek intimacy through images. His heart could be saying, I feel hurt. I feel rejection. So I'm seeking solace and refuge in images or videos. Or his heart could be saying, I I desire pleasure and gratification, and I will do anything to get it. And you see in, in these types of things, and many more, you see a heart that's, um, controlled by selfish things, and God is not the refuge. So he's trading worship of God for created things. Mm. Um, third truth on the heart. God's word cuts to the heart. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, piercing to the division, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We know that the Bible is no ordinary book. It's not a dead, inactive, dusty book, but it's living. And it, it perceives and mirrors and, and shows us who we are and what we're like. It's a living book. And wouldn't you say, Jerry, we want to become skillful 
exegetes of scripture, but also the human heart in applying scripture rightly to the problems that people face. Um, we want to be pastors who shepherd souls using the rod of the word of God with skill, with tenderness, and at times with force, warding off you know, sinful temptations in another person's life. Mm-hmm. I think you've touched on this, Josh, but we will only be good at giving counsel to whatever degree we are, you know, meditating on the word and and uh, familiar with the word and and prayed up, ready to help somebody using God's word because that's what what um, in, impacts the heart and and does surgery on the heart. Yeah. Last thing, and um, that's this. And I think we all know this in our life. There are circumstances and situations and our environment is going to influence our heart. Mm-hmm. We could think about these as the pressures of life, the forces that are external, that are acting on our heart and tempting us towards sinful responses. Um, and so we can say that we are responsible. Our heart is, we're actively responsible for our our choices and behavior, but we're influenced by the things going on around us. And uh, I think a great question to ask people just out and about, it's as kind of a way to take surface level sort of to the next level. And just in casual conversation, it's, it's, um, you know, it can be hard to know how to go deeper in conversation and you you know you want to bring up spiritual things but i think a great question to ask people is just to ask them what challenges or temptations or struggles they're facing in their life Mm -hmm. right then and there and a lot of times i've found you've probably seen this jerry there a lot of people are ready to share what those are some people are closed off and maybe it takes some more time to get to know them but a lot of people will willingly share that and more uh, about what's going on, and it's an open door to bring in the gospel and to get to know that person and interpret those problems th- biblically and uh, point to our great Savior. So I, I just fi- I found that question to be to be useful. Any thoughts on that, Jerry? That's we keep really going? helpful, though. I like that, and and it does open up the door. And I do think we'd be probably surprised. You know, we have to care enough to ask a question like that by. I kind of wonder if you're right there, Josh. We might be surprised how many people would really say, you know, because I hear, I don't know, uh, my mechanics say, well, a lot of people are coming in with their problems. You know, and he's just working on their car and they're talking about what's going on in their marriage or something, you know, or whatever. The plumber might get to hear all kinds. You just, so though I think sometimes people just want someone to, to talk to and care. And if we'll be that... There may be a lot of great opportunities, probably more than what we're, we're um, maybe taking advantage of. I like that, Josh. Yeah, I th- and I think just sometimes the informal settings lend themselves to mm-hmm. sort of casual conversations that can quickly turn a different direction. And I think it, when we're aware of those, we can direct them towards really profitable That's ends. Good. So... Let me just sort of sum up a few things on the heart, a couple implications. One, we've been talking about it this whole time. Man is directed by his heart. So any counseling system that ignores or misses the heart is missing the heart of the issue. And then secondly, every heart is a worshiping heart. It's, it's not a question of we're worshiping God or nothing. It's 
always a worship of God or something else. And we see that from Romans, Romans 1. Uh, we'll worship God supremely or something in creation. Paul said this in Romans, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And that's every human being that does not yet know the Lord. They're worshiping Mm -hmm. something in the creation over God. And even after we're regenerate and even after we follow Christ, there are temptations to exchange this worship of God uh, for the worship of creation. I'm just going to hit a few of these. And whereas in the Old Testament, there was physical idolatry, people bowing down and going prostrate to a physical image. Today, we have what David Clarkson called soul idolatry. The heart bows down to something that doesn't have a physical image, but it's an inward bowing down. And we can make anything into an idol, can we not? And, and worship that and get uh, what is only, should only go to God from that from that idol. So here's a couple sample idols. Sometimes there's a, a constellation of these working together in the heart. Um, pleasure, freedom, power, peace, love, happiness. I think this is a big one, certainly for me. How about the, the idol of comfort mm-hmm. or ease? You know, and you think about when you have a really hard day uh, at work or just difficult situations and you're just longing for the end of the day, what is it that you go to for comfort or for ease? And when, when you want that relaxation, um, is it that we turn to God or are we turning to something in the creation? And certainly God gives good gifts for us to enjoy. But I think the question of when that thing has become an idol is, are we willing to sin to get it? Or do we sin when we don't get it? And I think those two questions are, are profound. Some other ones, um, success, control, significance, or our our reputation. Um, A couple questions just to ask yourself to draw out the intentions of the heart. Who would you say their approval matters to you most? Whose approval or lack of approval can make or break your day and wreck wreck the rest of your day? what are the dominant emotions you feel during temptation? What, what promises are you prone to forget during temptation? What is it you most crave or desire or wish for? Uh, what do you daydream or fantasize about? David Pallison wrote a great essay called X-Ray Questions, Drawing Out the Heart, and he asked some of these. What is it that I love? What is it that I hate? What do I want, desire, or crave, or wish for? What desires do I serve and obey? Um, You could think about a desire for respect. Maybe a husband just craves respect from his wife. And those, it's interesting with idols, they a lot of times start as good things. I I think Mm. that desire is a good thing, but they turn into idols when we sin, when we don't get that respect or don't get what it is we want from that person. And so we see... Uh, even in conflict with others from, i got to read this, Jerry, from James 4. Uh, it's our desires that are at war with one another. Let's 
see if I can get it here. James 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Uh, verse 4, you adulterous people. Do you not know with friendship with the world is enmity with God? Um, so we see from those first couple verses, it's desires that are at war that cause quarrels and fight. Any thoughts on that, Jerry, with just the way that good things can turn into idols very easily when they begin to rule our life? No, I think in this room, that would be our, our battle, right? We may not be going after, that. We not that we couldn't, but we it may not be something that's just sinful on its own. It may be our family that we're really love and, and trying to serve, but all of a sudden they take precedence over God somehow, and, um, and then it becomes the ultimate, and then it becomes an idol. I was reading this from one author. He said, when, when our, we don't get what we want it, from that idolatrous worship, the idol demands a sacrifice, and so we often will punish others when they fail to satisfy our demands or expectations. And our idols demand that other people should suffer. Maybe uh, deliberately or unconsciously, we find ways to hurt other people that don't meet our demands. Mm. And I think we have to run. We have to see that and run back to the throne of grace and repent to God first, and then to this other person that we've wronged. That's good. Any last thoughts on that, Jerry? It's yeah. all. That's uh, all I wanted to cover on the on the heart for today. Yeah, that's great. You're going to take us through a question or two? You got a couple of them. I got a couple. So we, we did get a couple questions this week. A couple of really hard questions, I might say. Um, here's the first one. i love to hear you on this one, Jerry. What would you say to someone who has gone through secular or even integrated counseling and felt like they very much benefited from it in the past? Is that progress tainted or wrong? What do you think on that one? That was a, that was a good, really... I would kind of rather hear you on that, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, I would say that I think it's safe to say this. If the change was sanctification, then we can just praise the Lord and, and, uh, and grow from that. If the change, and you've been so good to help us know this, Josh... If we just feel better, but we're not, you know, looking to the Lord in a greater way, if we haven't grown spiritually, then it might have just put a Band-Aid on a, in an issue and not really helped us. Right. And so I guess maybe the how we're defining help there uh, might be the thing. But certainly the Lord has used, way, and, and any counsel that we give somebody is never going to be 100% godly right, except for Scripture itself. And so in the way we apply it, all of us are not going to be perfect in doing that. So people are helped continually by other people that aren't perfect. And so um, certainly the Lord's used all kinds of, you know, the, the way the church is. We're imperfect in the way we go about it, but hopefully we can still help each other even through um, uh, less than perfect means. That's good. That's far better than anything I could have said. Um, great question, though. Here's another one that 
it was just impossible to tackle in two or three minutes, but it's a profoundly good question. In a world where others are quick to say that things may be a medical issue, how do we as Christians discern when to seek medical help? When is it a sin issue and when is it a medical issue? I mean, that's, that's a great question. I think probably one that everyone's wondered in this room at some point. And maybe I just want to take us to Psalm 32 here for a second. And every situation is going to be unique, and there's, there's certainly nuances and wisdom required for tricky questions, but we, I don't think we've hit on this yet in our study, have we, Jerry? Psalm 32, um, a few weeks past, we talked about the, the outer man can influence the inner man, the inner man can influence the outer man, and here in Psalm 32, a very peculiar thing happens. David begins and says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Look at verse three. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And I believe this psalm is referring to the and the, all the commentaries agree this is referring to when he committed the sin mm. with Bathsheba before he repented verse 3 when he kept silent his bones wasted away and we see here that sometimes sin issues can have physiological effects on the body and so I think when I answer this question I, I want to have that category to say that sometimes soul issues can affect our physiological body <laughs> Um, but also on the other side, I, w- I want to say that sometimes physical issues may show as, um, s- you know, look like soul issues, like hyp- hypo or hyperthyroidism will look like depression, and it will be just purely a physical thing, but a lot of the depression symptoms will be present uh, when there's, I don't remember if it was hypo or hyperthyroidism. So I think uh, having both of those in mind is important. I think it's also important to remember that, you know, non-believing people don't have an answer for for sin and for the troubles of the soul, and so the remedies are going to tend to be physical in nature, mm. um, with medicine and things like that. Uh, I'll I always when I'm counseling, if there's something that could be an issue, I recommend getting a, a just a checkup and an exam to rule out any kind of physical or organic causes that could be there, like the thyroid stuff. Um, this this book I'd recommend called Blame It on the Brain from Ed Welch. I know some of you guys are familiar with it, but in answering the question, how do you know if it's physical or spiritual? I don't know if that's the, even the most helpful division, but he gives a very helpful framework. I'm just going to try and fly through it here. But he says the first step is to gather all the necessary data and information. Be exhaustive in your data gathering. Figure out everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 you know, e- down to diet. and uh, You, you want to have every, all the information so that you can make a wise choice. And then he recommends distinguishing between physical things and spiritual things. And if we confuse uh, physical for spiritual, we're holding people responsible for physical symptoms, but on the same side, if we confuse spiritual for physical symptoms, we're liable to excuse sin 
or have little hope for spiritual growth? And so two questions can help with this distinction. One, does the Bible command or prohibit this behavior? And two, can this behavior best be defined as a strength or a weakness? I'm just going to read this quote. Um, he, he w- in this book, he goes through um, and tries to discern what's physical, what's spiritual in all of these areas. With Alzheimer's, with head injuries, you know, those are going to be more physical type issues. And then some are in between, like depression and ADD and some other psychiatric problems. And then things that are not uh, physical, they're spiritual, like homosexuality, alcoholism, and he goes through a few more. But um, he says emotional, he's talking about depression. He says emotional numbness is not so clear. Some might argue that emotional numbness is a violation of the call to rejoice in all situations Welch would argue that that's just another form of pain. He says people can be thankful and confident in God and yet have emotions that feel dead. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Jerry. Physical, spiritual, um, trying to discern between the two. And then, you know, lastly, he says um, with the spiritual things, we want to address the the hard issues mm-hmm. that are present. And then with physical, consider. Uh, wise medical treatments to alleviate the symptoms. No, that's good. Um, that that's a a great question. How do we? How can we discern when to when it's a sin and when it's a medical issue? And I even think with medical things, there's we're talking about suffering. How do you you know think through suffering and and how does that change the view or your perspective of God? And w- we know He's in control of all things, even when. Um, hard physical circumstances come on us. Any other thoughts on that, Jerry? Nope. I think you're good. So the last question, or do you want to go and hear from hear from our crowd and save this, or you want to go yeah, into it? We might, we might save that one. I'd love okay. to hear Miss Robin yesterday. It was so good um, what you shared uh, about biblical counseling. Can you tell us why you... Um, are taking the ACBC classes and uh, kind of what you hope to, um, how you hope to use those. I want to hear from Caitlin um, uh, for Zach and uh, Mary Kate as well. Oh, you got your paper. What would you? Uh, why would you say you're you're taking them, uh, Miss Robin? And as you're learning so much from it, it's just a great opportunity then to, to share it with others. That's fantastic. You know, that's what we would hope in a class like this is I just think, you know, it, hopefully it helps us because we need counseling, certainly, right? I mean, we need to grow, like you called it, intensive discipleship. And uh, we want to always be ready to counsel others. What do you think, Zach? Uh, you've got Zach's very words on that sheet. Yeah. So he wanted me to start by saying that if you are interested in hearing more about biblical counseling to find some after church, we would love to talk to you about it. 
and that we have purchased the foundational or the fundamental course for ACDC. So we, we still have the lectures recorded if you want to come see some to see if it's something you might be interested in. Neat. Um, we have those available if you'd like to see them. And then some of the things that he took away from the counseling course, and we reiterated this in the class before, but just that everyone is a counselor, you're constantly giving counsel. It's about the quality of your the counsel that you're giving, and he liked this quote from Randy Patton, and pull up. Randy Patton, I think, was his favorite of all the, the people that taught in the fundamentals course, but it says, fundamentally, Christian counseling is a Christian who needs to grow and change, humbling and lovingly trying to help someone else who needs to grow and change, so hmm. that God gets the glory. So I think that was one of the biggest takeaways, and also that biblical counseling is very different from secular counseling in that it is focused on not just the fruits, so not just your behavior, but what is the root cause of that, and it's the only type of counseling that can really have transforming power and not just a band-aid. He has more, but that, those are the highlights. I love it. Mary Kate, what would you say? No, that's great. Josh, any more thoughts there though, as you went through it? It's been such a valuable um, for probably your own spiritual well-being and for your chance to counsel others. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it, when I was doing my studying, I think 2017 to 2020, it was, I mean, monumentally influential in my own spiritual life. A, a, Outside of this church and the pastors here and my parents, um, that that program helped me uh, incredibly just in understanding my personal sin struggles and the way I was worshipped, the approval of other people, and um, revealed to me more clearly who God is. And it was the, the sufficiency of Scripture. I mean, so many things. Mm. I'm, I'm thankful for the chance to have gone through the program now that's that's tremendous let me just share just 11 quick things that we generally want to grow in we want to be all about god's wisdom rather than man's wisdom number two we want to rely on the bible rather than books written by man number three we want to be god-centered not man-centered uh number four we want to generally and it's important not that it's not important sometimes to look back but generally we want to look ahead instead of just getting caught in in the past number five we want to remember that the problem is in the inside of us as josh shared with us not the outside number six the solution is on the outside not the inside right the solution is the lord jesus to race to him number seven we want to trust god's sovereignty and everything that goes on and uh, not just try to escape our circumstances, but trust that he's using them. Number eight, we want generally, and Josh has taught me this, that we really want to help someone maybe in counseling sessions with a shorter number of sessions rather than just, we need years of discipleship, but the intense uh, counseling may just be in a few short um, sessions. Number nine, uh, we want to counsel out of a biblical act of love and uh, not always see it as a, a business. Uh, number 10, um, counseling is always evangelism or discipleship, not just trying to make somebody feel better. 
we're after the spiritual well-being. And then number um, 11, we really want to do this just because we love people um, inexpensive, free, rather than uh, as just a, a, a money-making thing. Um, and so those are things that kind of in general uh, we want to think about. Um, this is our last. Go ahead. I, but before you close, I, it might be worth clarifying one point on the physical, spiritual. Like yeah. We would say it's always spiritual, and we're dealing with sins of omission and commission. I just hate for that to be unclear as we wrap up, because you yeah. have been so helpful to me on that with even when there's moments of suffering, we're still struggling with the sins of omission, like our lack oh, of man. trust in God and his providence. Yeah. There is never a shortage of sin to fight. Right. There's no doubt. There might be other things going on, but we always have sin issues. You were talking about that this week, and it was so helpful. I, I just, I think, I thought it was worth a comment or at least clarifying that. Mm, well, thanks. And uh, um, just kind of going forward here in the choir room next week, uh, we won't have uh, Sunday school, and we're going to start up the Book of Ruth um, on the 18th, Lord willing, February, and then um, we will miss on Black Mountain Week, March 10, and uh, Easter, March 31st, but uh, otherwise we're hoping for Ruth and Titus, Jonah, and Nahum is what we're hoping in the in the days ahead with maybe a brief um intermission with the elders talking about just some basic things on uh on all <laughs> kinds of stuff scott does that sound okay good got scott's head nod <laughs> on that josh would you pray and uh we'll mm, <laughs> close but really i would say this before josh prays just thank you for your um, willingness to come and to think through these things they're not uh they're not easy they're a little bit they can almost be controversial uh and it's not mainstream for sure um and so uh thank you for considering let's pray father what a privilege to have been able to teach this class what i pray for all of us in this room we would use our words wisely and carefully and and uh be intentional with other people in talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus and how he's rescued us from our idols of the heart and the things we used to live for, and now he's ch changed our natures. Lord, I pray that um, you'd give us humble hearts and keep us humble, help us to not think too highly of ourselves, and to uh, point to you. You are worthy of all glory, and uh, be with us this week, and be with us now as we go and worship in song and as we hear the preached word and ask this in Jesus' name, amen.